This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the fan content policy established by Wizards of the Coast. Listener discretion is advised. The Brothers War by Jeff Grubb Prologue Opposite to Tract 63 AR It was the night before the end of the world. The two armies had gathered on opposite sides of a blasted veil. Once this had been a verdant valley, its wide plains shaped by a wide, meandering river, its flanking hills blanketed by thick groves of oak, blanchwood, and iron root. Now these trees were gone. No more than ragged stumps remained. The grass burned away, and the earth beneath packed hard and barren. The stream was a sluggish flow hidden by a thick film of oil, its surface broken only by the shadowy masses of nameless solids. Thick, inky clouds concealed the moons and stars from sight. It had been overcast and cold on Argoth, despite unseasonably warmer weather elsewhere in Tarisir. Both sides in the upcoming battle had taken to torching the forest they found, if only to deny their opponents supplies and support. By day, the cloud canopy was a dull gray, a sheet of rolled and unfinished steel. By night, it was lit only from below by the thousands of campfires and foundries that now dotted the landscape. Along the opposite rims of the veil, the flames lit by both invading forces glimmered like evil eyes in the darkness. Spanning the shallow stream was a pair of toppled giants, remnants of an earlier battle between one of the invaders and the original inhabitants of this land. One of the fallen giants had been made of living wood and had splintered into a thousand shards. Its huge forested head lay on the ground, screaming silently to the uncaring knight. It had been the last champion of the natives of Argoth, the avatar of their goddess, and with its death passed away all hope for the island people. The victor in the battle had also been destroyed in the struggle. This huge humanoid monster was made of stone, its joints constructed of massive plates of pitched iron and great brass gears. Its lithic body had been broken and passed a number of times, and great sheets of metal had been bolted to its hide to hold it together. The battle with the living forest beast had overtaxed its pistons and armatures. Its final lunge had splintered its opponent. Now it sprawled forward, face down, a bridge over the tepid stream. One of the stone giant's arms had been ripped loose from the battle and lay a few hundred feet away its fingers raised to claw the sky. On the back of the granite giant's silent corpse, a lone figure waited. In his youth, he had been broad-shouldered and handsome, but the years of war and service of his master had exhausted him. His shoulders were slumped now, and his frame carried the additional weight of both his responsibilities and his age. His once-tousled blonde hair was worn short, and the first patch of skin was apparent at the crown of his head, herald at the eventual baldness. Still, he was taller than most of his fellows, so others did not see it unless he was seated. For the moment, he paced along the giant's back. Tonos pulled his rough, brown woolen cloak tighter around him, cursing the cold and the dark. As he did so, his fingers scraped against the metal breastplate beneath. It did not fit him. Very little that had not been made specifically for his large frame did, and he brought it along only as an afterthought. The message had been warm and welcoming, but it came from the enemy camp. Urza would be irritated if his former student let his guard down so easily. There was a motion along the far side of the giant's back, near where its smashed head lay at a twisted angle to the rest of the body. Tonos did not see her climb up, but suddenly, she was there. A flash of red hair surrounded by an ebon cloak. It was as if she wore a piece of the night itself, and wore it very well. She was alone, as she had promised. As she crossed toward him, Tonos pulled a small device from his pocket. It was a flattened sphere from a lamp's wick jutting from the top. He pressed a stud along the side of the sphere, and the device sputtered. The wick burst into a brief yellow flame, but subdued to a soft orange hue as Tonos manipulated the small stud along the side. Ashnod drew into the light, and he saw that she had that bemused smirk 
that he had always found attractive. He also saw that there were now silver hairs among the scarlet. I heard you were dead, he said. Don't believe everything you hear, Duck, replied Ashnod the Uncaring with a broad smile. I've heard I've died at least five times in the past ten years. The smile faded and the voice turned solemn. You came. Thank you. You sent a message, said Thanos. It could have been a trap, said Ashnod. It could have been, admitted Thanos, and opened his cloak. His breastplate reflected the small light, which glimmered off the two sets of ornate weapons that rode on his hips. Ashnod smiled again. Good to know you're still cautious, she said. Prepared, observed Thanos. That is all. Prepared. Ashnod slung her pack on the ground and knelt next to it. Thanos hesitated, then joined her. They sat in relative silence for a long moment. Far off in the distance on either side of the veil were the hammers of forges preparing for the bloody business of the next day. You sent a message, prompted Thanos. This is the last one, you know, said Ashnod, staring out into a night pierced by red fires. The last battle. The final conflict. One way or another, the resolution of the war between your master and mine. Between Urza and Mishra, said Thanos with a nod. They are both here, Ashnod added. There are no reinforcements. No retreat is possible for either side. One way or another, it all ends here. Thanos shifted uncomfortably. It had been a long time since he had sat cross-legged on hard stone. It is a good time for an ending, he said. All this had gone on far too long. Across from him, Ashnot bowed her head in the light. And wasted so much. Many have lost their lives, agreed Thanos. Ashnod giggled, an ill-placed sound that raised the hairs of Thanos' neck in irritation. Lives? she said. Lives are nothing. Think of all the forests gutted, the lakes drained, the lands plundered to get us to this point. Think of what we could have done with those resources. And people. Yes, how we could have used them otherwise. As she spoke, Thanos could feel his face tighten in disapproval. Even in the dim glow, Ashnot could feel a silent irritation. Sorry, she said at last. I spoke before I thought. Good to know there are universal constants, said Thanos stonily. Sorry. There was another pause, and in the distance something clattered. It sounded like a mechanical demon laughing. How is he? She said at last. The same, only more so, Thanos said. Yours? Ashnot shook her head. Something's wrong. Thanos raised an eyebrow, and she added quickly. Mishra's colder than ever. More calculating. I'm worried. I always worry, said Thanos. Urza has become more withdrawn over the passing years. Withdrawn? Ashnot said. That is the word. As if we aren't even there. Like no one else is. She reached out to touch his shoulder. Thanos stiffened, leaning away, and she let the gesture drop. You're right about it being a waste, she said at last. But it can be avoided even now. How? Thanos' eyes narrowed. Give him what he wants, said Ashnod. Give Mishra the other half of the stone. Surrender? Thanos said, his voice too loud. After all this, surrender? When tomorrow we might carry the field. Before we came to Argop, it might have been an option, perhaps. He thought a moment, and said more to himself than his companion. No, 
Not even before. Ashad held up both hands in a pacific gesture. Just a suggestion, Duck. He sent you with this message? My words are my own, snapped Ashad. He doesn't trust me, she added softly. Who would at this point? asked Thanos. The words were out of his mouth before he realized what he said. Fine, she snarled, and sit up suddenly. She grabbed the knapsack, and it disappeared again within the shadows of her voluminous cloak. And I even came bearing gifts. Any gift from you would be treated suspiciously, said Thanos, scrambling to his feet and standing next to her. They paused for a moment, and a cold wind passed between them. Then, Ashnot turned to leave. Perhaps, Thanos began. She hesitated at his words. Perhaps we could get our two masters together, he continued. Without their weapons, without their armies, perhaps there is a way to make them both understand each other. Ashnot shook her head. They are lockstep in their actions now, as mechanical as their own inventions, as relentless as the phases of the glimmer moon. She gave a sad giggle. You dream of a time when they could understand each other. There was never such a time. She walked away from him, then paused and turned. Be careful tomorrow. May you survive the battle. She walked away to the far end of the toppled giant and put her hood up. Her scarlet hair disappeared, and she merged once again with the shadows. Be careful yourself, said Thanos to the unresponsive darkness and turned quietly toward his own camp. As he walked back, one part of his mind noted the condition of the field, seeing pitfalls Urza's troops would have to avoid. But another segment of his consciousness meditated on Ashnod's words, repeating them over and over. There was never such a time.